This is exactly right. Forgive me for interrupting. I'm Bridger Weiniger, host of I Said No Gifts on Exactly Right. Each week, I invite my favorite people in comedy over to chat, and they always bring a gift. We're coming up on our 200th episode, and every episode is a gem. I have welcomed all kinds of great guests, including Cola Scola, Bowen Yang, Robbie Hoffman. It goes on and on and on. And you don't want to miss the 200th episode with the great Maria Bamford. What does she bring me? Find out April 25th. New episodes every Thursday. Follow I Said No Gifts wherever you get your podcasts. And my kid enjoys doing different things with her friends than I did. And so... I think it's really important to check ourselves on that. And as long as it's not something harmful, um, we need to be excited for our kids and excited for what they're doing. Welcome to the Parent Footprint Podcast with Dr. Dan. I'm Dr. Dan, your host, and let me tell you about our mission at Parent Footprint. It is to make the world a more loving and compassionate place, one parent and one child at a time. We believe the key to raising happy, healthy, and engaged kids is for us parents to seek the same in our own lives, happiness, health, and engagement. We firmly believe that awareness is the foundation for your vision of successful parenting. And with increased awareness and intention, you can be purposeful about leaving a healthy footprint on your children. Today's show is called College Student Health with our esteemed guest, Dr. Jill Grimes. Dr. Jill is a nationally recognized medical media expert, award-winning author, medical editor, and board-certified family physician. Her passion is prevention, and her message spans in all print, parenting magazine and glamour, online like Livestrong.com, and television and talk radio shows like Sirius XM, Dr. Radio. After two decades of private practice, Dr. Jill now enjoys seeing patients at the University of Texas at Austin, and she's a proud mom of two awesome college daughters. Academically, she enjoys educating healthcare professionals by speaking all over the place, including Harvard Medical School, and remains on the faculty at UMass Medical School. Dr. Jill, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. So, I am just so intrigued with you know, having uh, two college-age people myself and one on the, on the way soon. It's just like you... I was looking forward to this conversation because... Th- in here is all the stuff that I think a lot of parents don't want to really believe goes on in college. Like on the cover, your guide for everything from hangovers to homesickness. I think parents are okay with the homesickness part, but some people uh-huh. are like, wait, hangovers? Like we're talking about that. We're telling people how to get over it. So tell me, how did this, how did this book all like come to be? So it's really sort of a 10-year progression. Um, Our girls are in college and grad school right now. And so when they were younger, we had friends who had kids who were graduating from high school, neighbors and such. And so I started making first aid kits for them. And rather than just put stuff in a box, I wanted them to know when to use what. So I started with literally a single index card putting a little note like when to take Tylenol versus Advil or what to do if you're throwing up, et cetera. And 
Um, that evolved and became about a 20-page laminated booklet. So by the time our girls were graduating from college, it was a huge production to make these kits for all their friends. And um, at that point, I had already published a couple other books, and I realized I wanted to make this into a full-blown book. And coincidental to that, I had been in private practice in Austin for 20 years, which I absolutely loved, adored my patients, many of whom were with me the whole 20 years. And um, I decided to leave that and to go to very part-time at the University of Texas. And by the way, let me just say for the lawyers, I am not speaking for the University of Texas. I am speaking as Jill Grimes, MD, board-certified physician with all my experiences. But I do have experience. Noted. Noted. Thank you. <laughs> um, I do obviously have experience on college campus, and it was interesting to me the same questions that I would hear over and over, particularly when I was in the urgent care section of mm -hmm. the university. And so I realized there's questions that kids need answered. And hangovers, well, hello, that's one of them. <laughs> I mean, you have to be. And so I, let me give the full title to everyone. This is the, the, the book that we're going to talk about is the ultimate college student health handbook, your guide from everything from hangovers to homesickness. And there are 225 tips, tricks <laughs> and hacks. So that is a lot. Your little your laminated, you know, your one page to 20 pages. Is exactly. Full. Um, so you have to be known as like the cool mom and the cool oh. doc. That is my nickname, Cool Mom. That is literally my favorite nickname, bestowed upon go. me by one of my daughter's friends. That's awesome. Now, do you? Because I, I just to to represent the other side of it, because working with parents and being one and knowing lots of them, there's mm -hmm. so many different views about this. So you get, yes. I imagine you get some people that are like, "Wow, that is cool," and other people are like, "What? You're talking to yeah. them about that? Do you do you get all <laughs> the whole spectrum?" Okay, so full disclosure, my first three books are on sexually transmittable infections. <laughs> so, so I've been talking about controversial subjects for a decade. Mm -hmm. And uh, hangovers were the least controversial thing that I talk about. And believe me, I am not pushing kids to go out and drink. And I, I always want young people to know when I'm talking to them, which I do a great deal of, that 30% of college students don't drink at all. They don't drink. Mm -hmm. They don't smoke pot. They're not having sex. Not everybody is making these different personal choices. And obviously, every family has different values within their family. I don't even want to, I mean, not just values, but expectations. And um, my point is, I want kids to know what to do when something goes wrong, whether that's a sprained ankle or whether it's a hangover. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And... This makes me think of when I when our first went to school and had to take an online course uh, about health and wellness and substance abuse, and uh, she was sharing some of the you know some of the questions and content. And the thing that blew me away was the fact that one, approximately one out of three college freshmen do not return for their sophomore year for a variety of issues from mental health, substance abuse, uh, internet addiction overwhelm you name it mm -hmm. and I, I i like i couldn't believe it so i looked it up and everywhere i looked the percentages were very similar that's huge it's enormous there's so many challenges everything you listed and um social challenges along with that not getting in especially in some of the organizations that have um uh, such as the Greek organizations and i'm not slamming them but but it's very difficult for kids who grow up 
and they, you know, their whole focus on college is getting into that best um, frat or sorority. And if they start off and they don't get the one they want, it can be a very rocky start. Mm-hmm. So there is a, and, and I'm interested in your thoughts on this because when I talk to my generation, our generation, I think we're a mm-hmm. similar generation. Sounds like um, it. <laughs> uh, parent, parents, they're saying like, God, it wasn't, didn't seem to be like that. I mean, we had all challenges, but it, one out of three people did not not return. There's, I mean, there were always some, but it seemed the percentage is not as high as it is today. You know, I haven't looked at the statistics on that, but I, I agree with the feeling of that. I had one roommate that didn't return. Um, and honestly, though, off the top of my head, I can't think of a ton of other people. I, I think I mean, knew out of the 40 years, maybe two people that didn't return from my extended friend group. So it does seem like it's higher. Yeah. And uh, just one more thing that relates to this. I was thinking uh, my the, my same daughter when she was a junior mm-hmm. and had a lot of friends who were seniors. And so you're ahead of her. And then during or after their first year, so many of them came home from school mm-hmm. and stayed home and went to the community college. And she's get, you know in the process and getting ready to go. And she says to my wife and I, you guys keep telling me college is so fun. If it's so fun, how come everyone's coming home? And uh, it was a really good question. <laughs> yes. And, you know, in fact, one of the pieces of advice that I always give when people say, okay, well, if you could only tell parents of college students one thing or high school, you know, graduating seniors before they head off to college, one thing, what would it be? My thing is to spend at least a couple times this summer reflecting on your college experiences with them, but not what they have already heard. If we think about college, where our mind immediately goes to the super fun tailgate parties or um, Mm -hmm. dances or whatever it was that we really enjoyed, we don't think about that day where we sat in our dorm room sobbing because our heart was broken or we made our first bad grade. I know I made a C in freshman chemistry. I'll just put it out there. Thought I was never getting into medical school, was devastated. and, um, And frankly, it was a poor choice. I had been up all night um, socializing and not <laughs> drinking. I actually didn't drink uh, back then. And um, I, but you know these things happen. And mm-hmm. the hard it's hard when kids have their expectations that we hear over and over. College is the best four years of your life, best years of your life. And then they have a bad day, and they're like, "And this is supposed to be the best years of my life?" And they're they're really just destroyed. It's very difficult. That and that's thank you for saying that. And I get hindsight, you know, now that we're mm-hmm. working on number two, like sure. we are changing our well, messaging based on pra- that experience. <laughs> yeah, we practice. Um, right. Because you're right, and everyone's experience is different, and yes. it is a different time. You know, there there's so many it more is. challenges. Um, yes. And now we need to add um, the 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 extra challenge of, <laughs> of people going off of a pandemic, right? So. You know, let's just go there right now in the sense of, gosh, how abnormal for development, it, you know, the situation that we're in where, <sighs> you know, these young adults, these old teens and young adults are not getting the opportunity to be independent, to go explore. And then, I don't know, just it's so, see, it's so confusing. What, what are your thoughts? Oh, my goodness. I have so many. It is... Um it's such a hard thing to balance and it's a really individual decision for every kid and their families. 
you know, a lot of people are saying, even if my kids have only online classes, they're still going to go, they'll go live off campus in an apartment um, because they need to be with their peers. And I think that's true for a large number of them. Um, Mm -hmm. Our younger daughter actually, as of yesterday, uh, found out she that her school, she's going to be a senior in college, and she's an animation major, and um, they are going to online only. And she has chosen for the fall to actually not go to, because um, it's out of state, she has chosen to be at home. She has all the equipment that she needs, and that is her choice. Um, but it's it's hard to weigh everything. And the good news is, I want to say on a positive note, these kids are so resilient. Mm-hmm. And the advent of Zoom, which, you know, a word none of us associated with what it is now, a year ago, I was still singing the Zoom, you know, theme song from our youth. Oh, I but, remember that. Yeah. <laughs> gonna yeah. Zoom, 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 uh, Zoom. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, Got your arms going, your arms yeah, going. I, I yeah, was. Yeah. It was yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for sharing. Yeah. Um, but the truth is, my daughter spent, I think, five hours the other night over the weekend uh, doing an online role-playing game with all of her friends from animation. And so she had that connection. Is it the same as in person? No. Do any of us want that? No, we're not going to choose that. But, you know, this is a pandemic. None of us have lived through this before. And um, I do think that they're resilient and they're learning skills, different skills. So while they're missing out on some, they're gaining on others. And you brought up the, you know, your daughter chose. And it seems like that is a really important from what I'm seeing with um, my clientele of that age as well. It's, it's, it's them being presented with choices and feeling like they have some agency and choice um, before parents jump right in and kind of say, well, this is what is going to happen. It seems like we, how do we honor that autonomy even in these um, unnatural circumstances? Exactly. And you know, and it's hard and you look at the cost of college and, you know, from my standpoint, a good third of what we're paying for is the other college experience, the interaction right. with friends, the doing things, but it's so individual. And, um, you know, our older daughter is in grad school. And even if her classes are hundred percent online, she will absolutely be back there. She, you know, every kid is different. And I think for it to be successful for all of us, everyone has to buy in. Um, there are financial realities, and I don't blame parents who take a more heavy-handed approach, um, but that's what works for us. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, for sure. And the money conversation is very real, um, and yes. universities are handling it differently. Yes. And I think, I think so to sort of rephrase, um, because there sometimes aren't choices, I think it's just the, it's the process um, mm-hmm. I've always, I always remember what um, Scott Peck said in The Road Less Traveled, that wonderful book uh, uh, yes. about parenting. It was something like, it's not whether you say yes to what your child wants. It's that they know that you've took the time to actually think about it. Exactly. That, yeah. That's so re- resonated with me. Love that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, so... There, you have two hundred and twenty-five hacks. So there, there's like a, there's a ton of stuff, and so let's 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 talk about some of, and I don't I don't want to call them the highlights or like the most essential, right? Like, sure. what do you think are the most essential 
uh, just awarenesses and education and uh, knowledge that these college students have as they take this step to autonomy? Well, we've got injuries, illnesses, and anxieties. And Mm. I think, so maybe I could briefly do a pull from each of those. So um, you had mentioned text anxiety in advance of this podcast. So that's huge. And I'll tell you who test anxiety is the worst for is the students who were valedictorian, came from top of their class, and they're going to their dream school. And all of a sudden, they're kind of average. Mm -hmm. And it is a huge, and I mean, of course, this can happen to anybody at any school, but particularly we see it in the extra high achieving kids, which (laughs) sort of is everyone going to college nowadays. But um, Mm -hmm. suddenly they have test anxiety and it start. It usually starts with not doing well on a test, although not always. But a lot of times, their first college quiz, um, freshman chemistry, is a classic one. That, and I'm not just saying that to justify my own <laughs> experience. But, but freshman, yeah. Yeah, but freshman chemistry is a very common one because it's it's new and it, there's different expectations. And a lot of kids will have their first poor grade in college from that. Then the next quiz comes around and they go in and suddenly they're, they're anxious. They need to go to the bathroom. They're sweating. Their heart's racing. And then their brain goes blank. And now they're really not going to do well. And so, and then you get in that whole vicious cycle. So I think test anxiety is, if I had to pick one anxiety, that's the biggest thing that we see kids complaining about. And the good news is there are a hundred different things you can do for that. And the key is to sort out from the beginning. Are you having test anxiety because you're not prepared, because you haven't managed your time well, because you don't understand, um, you know, how the professor is asking questions, or perhaps you're the only one that didn't realize that there are, uh, as opposed to high school where there's rarely practice quizzes and practice tests, um, there's old ones floating around almost all college campuses. So sometimes people are aware of that and they do much better because they've had that advantage. So if it's a straight, you weren't prepared enough, that's one decision tree. And there's all kinds of study skills training that can help with that. On the flip side, if you were prepared and you just got into this paralysis, then I'm going to push kids a different way. My number one choice, if I could only pick one thing, would be for them to consider doing some cognitive behavioral therapy. Mm-hmm. I don't know how much you guys talk about that on the show. I would imagine it's come up a bit. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it, this is not lay down on the couch and talk about your mother therapy. This is really right. practical, hands-on, and it is so effective. And to, it really stops people from that catastrophic thinking of what I had. Oh my God, I made a C. I'm never going to medical school. I'm flunking out of college and I'm never going to go to, I'm never going to achieve my dream because that's just paralyzing. And so, um, so there's that. And then, and in my book, I list a bunch of other little techniques, certainly breathing exercises. And then when all else fails or, or in combination with the other things, not necessarily that other things failed, we give medications that can really help with test anxiety. We give a medicine that is not addictive. 
It's actually a blood pressure medicine. And what it does is it slows your heart rate down. And very interestingly, when our heart rate slows down, our brain, I think, gets the message, well, if my heart's not racing, I must be calm. And it kind of has a reverse effect of calming us down. So many students have found that having that, and, and honestly, I have to say the the bulk of the ones I have prescribed, which is many, many, many over the years, I mean, all through my private practice as well, a lot of kids will use it three, four times, and then they carry the bottle around with them, and they never ask for a refill. But just knowing that they have it, if they get anxious, is enough. So there, uh, the listeners are saying, uh, Dr. Joe, what is the name of that medicine, please? Uh, metoprolol. It's a beta blocker. Beta but blocker. Your, doc- your doctor will yep. know. Yep. Yeah. Well, it's great to hear you say that because everyone goes straight to the short-acting anxiety meds, which, of course, are Ugh, no. <laughs> more concernful, particularly for college-age individuals, right? Right, right, yes. right. Yes. Nope. Very few college campuses are going to have any doctors that are going to prescribe that. Yes, yes. <laughs> they're, okay, they're so there is a host. Yes. yes. Sorry, yes. go ahead. So there's a host of, host, host of strategies for anxiety. Um, yes. And then, so it's like, uh, injuries, illnesses, and anxiety. Oh my. So we have, where are we going next? <laughs> injuries or illnesses? Uh, let's go to illnesses. Let's, let's talk about strep throat because this is really important with COVID. Um, look, we all know that not just college health centers, but all health centers right now are busy. And so the more that you can understand when you really need to go in and be seen, the better. And that's really what I hope my book is going to help with. So, for mm-hmm. example, kids get strep throat. It happens, obviously, a lot. But there are certain things, if you know, for example, if you have a cough and a sore throat, it's very, very unlikely to be strep throat. And so my book takes you through, for strep throat in particular, we're looking for a fever, which is a temperature greater than 100.5 or 100.5 and greater, um, swollen glands, those lymph nodes in the front of your neck, they're painful and lumpy when you feel them, a sore throat, obviously red pesty tonsils if you look in the mirror, and no cough. And so if you have all of those things, by all means, you need to be seen. But if you have seasonal allergies and you got a little bit of a runny nose and maybe a little bit of a scratchy cough, but no fever, of course, everyone starts thinking about COVID and that's a valid concern. But it probably, you know, these are symptoms that can probably be managed through a phone call or through a, a, a electronic visit, a televisit with your health center. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then another common one, just to throw this out there, because this is so incredibly common, is sprained ankles. And this happens in intramurals, but it also happens in high heels, walking across parking lots that are uneven and all kinds of places people get sprained ankles. And the first thing parents say is, hey, can you go in and get an x-ray? So another thing that I take you through is when do you really need an x-ray? Because most of the ankles we see that come in do not need an x-ray, which means, again, you could have avoided going in, avoided extra exposure, avoided mm-hmm. time, expense, and money of going mm-hmm. in if you knew you didn't need to. Right. So that that's injuries. Okay. So those are the ones that are, I think, feel relatively comfortable for parents to talk about. And so now I want to, you know, push the envelope here. I sure. Because I'm thinking, you know, there's the ones that where parents could have the conversation 
or it's like, uh, here, here's a book I want you to read, right? <laughs> so what are, what, I mean, because I think probably both approaches okay. could work. Um, uh-huh. So I want to know what your thoughts are on approach, but also what are those those topics that you think should be discussed that are often avoided? Well, uh, my big ones are drinking and smoking. Mm-hmm. And um, let me just put this out there too. In a time of COVID, if there is ever a time to quit smoking, it's now. And by smoking, I also mean vaping. Because let me tell you, that's very popular, more in middle school even than high school, it seems at times, but mm-hmm. very popular on college campuses. And we don't want anything damaging our respiratory tract or lungs, setting us up for a more difficult event if we get COVID. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Um, I think. Drinking, it's, it's difficult. Obviously, drinking is glorified in a lot of things that we see. I mean, I think about Animal House, the movie, for parents of, of our age. Um, but, you know, we think about these big parties and tailgating. And, um, and the challenge is now, I rarely see kids abusing beer, when we were in college, it was all about beer bongs and, you know, the people who got really sick <laughs> had to work hard to get all that beer into them to get sick. Unfortunately, now the trend is much more shots, often vodka shots. And the issue is you can take them very quickly, feel nothing, and then get super drunk when it all hits. And the ADD medications make that worse. And um, I talk about that. And if your child is on ADD medications, uh, that is definitely, there's multiple conversations that need to be had. And I have a separate topic on that in the book. Mm-hmm. So the, the alcohol, and, and this is a tough one because, and again, th- people have different beliefs about sure. alcohol use and experimentation, right? There's mm-hmm. the don't do it ever, right. um, which also means if you do, I don't want to hear about it because you're right. in trouble or bad. And then there is, um, well, it's a part of it's a part of growing right, up. It's a rite of actually, passage, right? And mm-hmm. we actually want you to know what it's like mm-hmm. to have a few beers or a glass of wine or a few shots, so you know what your limit is. Um, mm-hmm. Because it seems like I don't know. We often, I often argue with clientele is that like how can we be realistic to help our our children, young adults, make good choices knowing that they're inevitably going to be in situations where they need to make good choices and how do we prepare them for that? Right. And that's why my approach typically has been when I'm talking with kids and parents, um, my approach is if you choose to drink, drink beer or wine. Mm -hmm. Because again, it's much more difficult to get in trouble with that. And also beer is nice because it comes in a can or a bottle although it can come from kegs, but you get to the whole issue of you don't want anyone spiking your drink with something else. And so it's nice that you open it yourself and you have a controlled situation. Um, One of the things I talk about, the hangovers are not, hangovers are miserable, but that's not the dangerous thing. The dangerous thing is alcohol toxicity. And, um, and I kind of go through in the book of how, how that works. And most kids now have some understanding of this and have good programs in high schools talking about it. But I think it's nice to have a resource, especially if you're in 
the situation of being hungover or with a friend who is or a roommate um, to have something handy to kind of understand what the danger signs are to look for, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Well, and then there's the topic of your um, your prior um, publications of sexually transmitted diseases. And I even think about how, you know, correct me on this, I feel like those have even taken a, a bit of a backseat to um, protecting from sexual assault on campuses. Yes. And how would, do we have those conversations with our kids? Uh, so that those are, they're difficult. And honestly, that was why that's literally why I wrote my first book, um, which is called seductive delusions, how everyday people catch STDs. Although there's a, a newer version that's STIs. Um, because look, if you talk to kids about STDs and you show them gory pictures, they're grossed out for a day or two, but nobody thinks that that's them. Mm-hmm. They think that that's, that happens with prostitutes, that happens with those people over there, drug addicts, whatever. They do not think it happens with the most beautiful girl in a sorority or in a, uh, I, don't, I feel like I'm picking on Greeks here, um, the most beautiful girl in the class, the smartest, the valedictorian. And the reality is it does. These diseases happen. Kids are sexually active in college, not all kids, but we really do need to make sure our kids understand that in some fashion, that it is not, that that it will be their peers who can pass these diseases and they do need to be protected. And that includes the Gardasil vaccine to protect against HPV, which is, you know, causes cancers as well as genital warts. Mm -hmm. And so, how do so the bridge? I was thinking of you know alcohol substance yes. use to <laughs> yes. to um, vulnerability Which, to right. um, unfortunately sexual assault and thinking how do we help you know like you said telling our kids like don't if you're going to drink don't ever take a drink from someone where you haven't seen exactly where it's come from or like you said open your own drinks um, all of these right. vulnerabilities um, that make our kids susceptible right and I have some other strategies in the book, like, you know, always make a, have a friend, have a, you know, decide ahead of time. And it's, it's ideal to have a friend who's not drinking or is only going to have one drink for sure. But I mean, like that has to be a solid commitment, preferably no, no drink, but, and have code words and have strategies. Like if you are getting nervous because you feel like you're getting too drunk and, or you had one drink and you're afraid that your drink is like spill your drink on yourself. Uh, you know, and then you grab your friend and go, oh my gosh, I have to go get changed. And right. um, that's right. a little more targeted to girls, but it sounds like you at least have one daughter. So, yes. um, yeah. <laughs> you know, th- these, these are the kind of practical tips that actually I didn't come up with. Students came up with these. Mm. And I, I love hearing different things. And, uh, you know, almost all of them will have their code word that means we're out of here. And it's usually a name that's not really common. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. um, well, and counseling, counseling, I, I mean, it, it just being able to seek help on campus. We know that, oh, col- yes. I mean, from yes. studies, right? I mean, college, for quite some time, the college counseling centers are full. Um, I guess the good news, you know, bad news, they're full because people are having challenges. The good news are people are asking for help. Yes, yes. And almost every campus that I'm aware of has so much better outreach for this and there's posters everywhere and there, and and anyone who has any concerns can you know call in anonymously to get help and 
we're, you know, this is the biggest thing is when it happens, people think, oh my gosh, I can't believe this happened to me, number one. And number two, you know, how did I let this happen? And number three, I don't want to tell anyone. I don't want anyone to know about this. And Mm -hmm. that's a cause of people dropping out of school, you know? So the more we can reach out, the better. So a big part of this podcast, as you know, is about parents um, having their own awareness um, at every phase of life for their own life and for the health uh, for of, and development of their child, children. And so you started, we, we started to hit on this in terms of what not to tell our kids um, about college. I can, let's talk a little bit about what should parents be thinking about themselves and their own process as they're pre- not only preparing for their kids to go away to school, but prepare some of them preparing for their kids to go away during COVID. Right. Like how do we, how do we, how do we educate, keep our own anxiety in check and not put that mm-hmm. onto our kids, I guess is one, another way of putting it. Right. Isn't that the million dollar question? Mm-hmm. Um, I think that there are things that we can do. And um, number one, un-COVID related, I think it's incredibly important to tell ourselves, I don't know, a hundred times a day that our kids, each of our children, because our kids are obviously different, their college experience is their college experience. And for me, for example, I love college football. I love all the pomp and circumstance. I love the music. I love the excitement of the atmosphere. And I have one daughter that feels the same way and one daughter that does not. And, um, you know, it's, it's hard to reset your expectations because for me, I can't imagine a, a fall Saturday without football. Although this year, <laughs> we right. I, who knows, we yeah. may have that. Yeah. But that's not the be-all, end-all, and it's not my experience. And my kid enjoys doing different things with her friends than I did. And so I think it's really important to check ourselves on that. And as long as it's not something harmful, um, we need to be excited for our kids and excited for what they're doing. In terms of not worrying about COVID as much, do you want me to sort of address that? Yeah. yeah, yes, please. Okay. So number one, at the end of the day, let's remember that COVID is still typically a mild disease in 80% of the people who get it in, in, in young people, in young people with no underlying problems. And so we need to remind ourselves of that as we're worrying about our children. Look, we've got all kinds of things to worry about about our kids and COVID just is one more thing to the list, but I don't think we need to be obsessing about it day and night. I do think it's really important to have them be prepared. And there are some different things I would add to their first aid kit um, that, I, that I may not have pushed so much before. And um, knowing that they're prepared and knowing that they know what to do if they have symptoms, where to go, what to do. I think it gives me reassurance that my kid is better prepared. One thing everyone can do today is have their kid take out their cell phone, which of course they'll have on them, and find your insurance card, take a picture front and back, and they need to save that in their photos. I will tell you, in college health, Kids come in and they're, you know, they've maybe they've fallen off a bike, maybe they have a concussion, maybe who knows what, but they come in and they're flustered and they're hurt or they're scared and then they can't find their insurance card. So if you've got 
and it's silly, but that's, you know, it is, that's no, part of the great, process. Great and you, you need to have that. So you need to have that. What I do also is I actually make a paper copy of the insurance card. In fact, I make a couple front and back and I just stick it in the first aid kit so that if, if it, if they were leaving their dorm room or their apartment, they could actually just grab that with them and, it, you know, and that they know where it is. It's easy. So that's one. Um, second thing is talking about all the things. Um, I mean, campuses are just going to be all over this about COVID, about the things you can do to prevent getting COVID. But a couple things people might not think about. One is if you need a prescription, like if you wear contacts, consider wearing glasses. Glasses is another layer of protection. And um, plus, you're not touching your hands and your eyes and stuff by putting in contacts. But so there's, you know, a couple reasons to wear glasses over contacts. I think they're going to be a lot more popular in the fashion world this year. The second thing is on masks. Please do not send your kid to college with two masks or accept the two masks that your college is going to give them as enough. That is not enough. They, they really need to be wearing a clean one each day. And look, our kids don't even do laundry once a week. Most of them don't. And um, so I'm going to send 14 masks because that way they've got two weeks worth till they have to do laundry and make sure that they try the mask this summer, wear it for an extended period of time. Because if you've never worn a mask for an hour, you don't know if it's, if it's, does it stay covering your nose and your chin? Are you tugging at it? Is it itchy? Is it too hot? So, you know, this is the time to be experimenting with that and getting the right masks for your kids. Mm -hmm. And, um, talk to them about cleaning the high touch surfaces, the phone being the number one, two, and three that comes to mind. You can, right. I mean, cause you know, and oh my gosh, and they all take them into the bathroom with them. They're worrying about washing their hands, but they're not, you know, they had their right. phone out in the bathroom. <laughs> it's let's, come on. So let's clean the phones. You can buy the little UV light box sanitizers. Um, I, I don't have a particular one to recommend, but I like that because that takes care of the um, kind of nooks and crannies that you may not get when you're wiping off your phone with a, um, you know, with a sanitizing wipe. And we have to be careful because they're electronic, so you can't like just douse them with liquid. So I like I like the little UV light boxes for that. Excellent. The uh, the first aid kit just expanded with the COVID edition, <laughs> right? Yes, exactly. Yes. And I think it's going to be with us for a while. That part of the pack is going to be a normal part of our first aid kit. I think so. Yes. So, so much common sense. I mean, really, it's like, it's so refreshing. I mean, for me to hear these things, like, of course, take a picture of your uh, ID card. <laughs> right. Right? I mean, it's like, it's such like, these who wouldn't do like, that? <laughs> right. But it's, it's so important because I'm just imagining the text. Where mm -hmm. is my ID card? Do you have it? Right. Oh, um, and while we're at yeah. that, I'm going to sneak one more thing in. Where is yeah. my ID card? And when was my last tetanus shot? That's the other thing. Go. Have them take a picture of their immunization record because Everyone thinks, okay, well, no, I had to submit that. They couldn't even get into college. Surely they have it. But usually the only thing we see is the meningitis vaccine because, mm -hmm. that, you know, in some states that's required. Wish it were an all. Uh, so the bottom line is that's, that's something that comes up all the time. And yep. kids in that age range are usually due for a booster. So yep. Yep. take a picture of that too. Excellent advice. Okay, Dr. Jill, it's time for the parent footprint moment question. Oh, what's Deep to breath. Choose. Deep yes. breath. Okay, yes. here we go. 
Tell us about a time when you became aware of yourself as an individual or as a parent, and that new awareness had a positive impact on your child. All right. Well, I cheated and listened to a bunch of your other podcasts, and somebody else snuck in too. So may I do that if it's really quick? Oh, yes. That's totally kosher. (laughs) Okay. One is really just kind of a moment. And I just have to say, so birthdays were a huge thing in my family growing up. My mom you know, decorated a beautiful cake and you were kind of queen for the day or king for the day. And it was a big deal. And I never really thought about it other than being about me. And when I gave birth, I, our our first daughter was uh, born a bit early, had a lot of complications and, and (laughs) there were eight doctors in the room when she was born counting me and my husband and my sister who delivered her, who's an OB-GYN. And it was just like, it was just craziness. And the moment I saw that little baby and knew that she was healthy, I, I, I was just so madly in love with her and amazed. And my first thought was, oh my God, that's how my mom feels about me. Hmm. And when my mom came in, you know, a few minutes later after everyone else cleared out, first thing I turned, I'm like, mom, thank you. Thank you for giving birth to me. I'm going to refer to this as you know, it's, it's your giving birth. You know, my, my birthday is her giving birthday. So I that kind of shifted my, my paradigm. Mm. So that's one. The other thing, actually, I don't know if you noticed um, in the book, but I have in the dedication, I have it dedicated to my father, who was a professor, Yield Prof. And <laughs> when I was young, um, all I have a brother and a sister, and we heard, gosh, almost every day of our life, well, if you didn't fall, you weren't trying. And quite honestly, it was a little annoying at times because say I went roller skating and I had a blast or whatever, came home and dad say, did you have fun? He would always ask if we had fun first. And then, uh, did, did you fall? No, nope. oh, you weren't trying. I'm like dad. But sometimes it was true. You know, I wasn't pushing myself. And, and that sounds kind of, may sound kind of harsh, but it sort of became a touchstone phrase in our family. And so when we had failures, the answer is always, if you didn't fall, you weren't trying. And so even as an adult, when I was first trying to get a book published, I got a lot of rejections. And dad would say, eh, didn't fall, you weren't trying. When our kids were applying to colleges and going through all that process, you know, we, that this has become a phrase in our house as well, from when they were little and fell and skinned their knee, or when they were older and doing bigger things. And um, even to the point when my, my father had Parkinson's, and that's not funny, but the, what's funny is that when he was fairly stiff with the Parkinson's, we took a long road trip with him, which was great fun. But he fell at a rest stop, and he just, because of the Parkinson's, he couldn't get his arms out fast enough to block. So, like, he, he fell, like, in a cartoon, like, straight down. Mm. And he wasn't seriously injured, but, but you know, it was obviously not son and he was a little bit cut up and he got up and he just looked at me and he goes, well, Jill, you know what I say? (laughs) I'm like, that's right. If you didn't fall, you weren't trying. So that's something for me that, that has again, just become a touchstone phrase in our home to say, put yourself out there, try something new. You know what? You Mm -hmm. may, you may fall, but it's okay. If you do, that's part of the whole process. That's awesome. And it's like, it's so much, it's, it's just, resilience, right? It just totally grows resilience. And, um, and I love that it's part of your family culture and, uh, it shows what, obviously what a wonderful man, um, 
he is was, uh, was but thank you was, yeah. yes um, our parents are all in heaven but, yeah. but they, i had great yeah. parents instead of my husband we're very fortunate mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. great role models and i also think for everyone listening um and maybe this is self-serving but this just shows that there are dad jokes that really matter <laughs> <laughs> that really make a difference <laughs> there you go oh yeah we got a whole list of them <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thank you for sharing that. And um, I'm going to bring that home too, that uh, your dad's message is going to live on. Yay. Can I, can I just because, you know, yes. I, feel guilt, yeah. I feel guilty if I don't add in my mom. My sure. mom's saying that we literally have engraved at hospice um, uh, for her was anything worth doing is worth doing right. And so my kids have also grown up with that one. <laughs> we find someone doing kind of a half, half-hearted attempt at something. <laughs> They're like, Come on, man. Like, oh, yeah, all right. Anything worth doing is worth doing right. So, those not are great, two, those are not two great powerful. for perfectionists. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, those are, as a recovering perfectionist, I yeah, can say, yeah. man, those are, those are exactly. powerful. Yeah. Yes. Push your, but, but actually, but push yourself and then do it right. Right. The push yourself is, uh, this, that's the anti perfection one because you have to fail if you're pushing yourself exactly. and you're falling. Exactly. So, like so, they was, so it balanced out. Yes. Total balance. <laughs> Okay. So Dr. Jill, thank you for educating us and enlightening us and tell everyone where not only can they get your new book, The Ultimate College Student Health Handbook, your guide for everything from hangovers to homesickness and everything else you're doing. All right. So um, I'm very easy on social media. It's just Jill Grimes, MD, whether that's Twitter or Instagram um, or whatever. And My book, I always, especially in our pandemic, I want to encourage everybody, if you have a favorite local bookstore, please, you know, call, order the book through them so that they get the sale. But if not, it is Barnes and Nobles, Amazon, and also Walmart and Target online. So when you're picking up your other dorm stuff, grab a copy. Keep one for yourself because uh, as most of my friends have told me, they're like, oh, I need this. So when they text home, I know what to say. I'll just say, go read, go read page 123. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. There, you gotta have, you gotta have two books. It's the, uh, the parent child <laughs> companion series and uh, it'll exactly. make us be more educated and informed and wise. There you go. Wonderful. Well, thank you for sharing your wisdom with us. Uh, this is such important. These are such important issues. And, um, you know, most of us are doing this for the first time. So we need yeah. resources. Uh, so this is the resource. Thank you. All right, everyone. That concludes another informative and engaging show. Remember, your kids are always watching. You don't have to be perfect. Be the person you want your children to become. Be human. Be kind to yourself. Check us out at www.parentfootprint.com. Subscribe to the show and tell others about it. Finally, ask yourself the guiding question. What footprint do you want to leave? <laughs>